going to the beach. Known for sand. Famous for sand, son. Not thinking about it. Nobody thinks much about that. So let's have some fun. Let's find out why going to the beach is secretly incredibly fascinating. folks, welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. Two amazing guests join me this week. One of them is Jenny Jaffe. Jenny is an Emmy-nominated TV comedy writer, a TV show creator, and she did a hilarious run of fake TV show Cold Opens on Twitter this summer. There's a link to that in the show links. I'm also joined by Mujan Zulfagari. Mujan is an amazing improviser and podcaster. She's part of the team making Mission to Zix. And I hope you know about the podcast Mission to Zix. That's spelled Z-Y-X-X if you're searching it. It's a long-form improv comedy podcast set in a science fiction universe, and it's on Maximum Fun. Find Mission to Zix in your podcast player. And I am so glad Jenny Jaffe and Mujan Zulfagari are here today. It's great. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples. Acknowledge Jenny and Mujan each recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielino or Tongva and Keech and Chumash peoples. And acknowledge that in all of our locations, native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode, And today's episode is about going to the beach, which I think fits into the whole podcast series really interestingly, because this is about things that people think are ordinary, and that can include things that people think are incredibly fun or like the greatest thing in the world. Because I think for many people, the beach is a break from the mind, you know, like you're supposed to just go and sit in a wonderful chair and look at the water and feel the sun. Also, don't worry, you will get to keep enjoying that. We're not going to we're not going to like cancel the beach or anything. It just turns out going to the beach is fascinating historically and culturally and scientifically, and finding out why is the goal of today's episode. And then one note on audio stuff on this episode before we start. If you've heard my past podcasting, you've you've generally heard guests on studio microphones. Uh, There are a lot of reasons we aren't doing that now. One of them is Corona. Another is that this is an independent, scrappy show that I'm just like trying to get off the ground. Anyway, even in studio times, I would often have a guest call in over the phone rather than being on a regular microphone or through internet versions of the phone, like a a Skype call or a Zoom call. I don't know why I felt like I needed to explain that it's like the phone as if you're all 90, but, uh, but you get it. And this episode is one of those. We've got Jenny's voice specifically coming in through the Zoom internet call system. It still sounds good. It sounds legible. You can tell what she's saying. I think I think it's a good experience to listen to. And I just mention it because some people super insist on the like the fanciest studio microphone vibe you can get. We are making that happen in bedrooms and closets as Corona continues. Anyway, if you prefer an all fanciness show, that is A-OK. We'll catch you next week. For the rest of you, this is one of my favorite conversations we have had on this very new podcast. And I'm so excited for you to hear it. So please sit back. Or do that thing where you and your beloved like kiss passionately on a beach as waves go over you. That is a that is a movie reference if you see it in a new TV or movie or something. It's from the 1953 movie From Here to Eternity. Fun fact. And either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Jenny Jaffe and Mujan Zolfagari. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. John Jenny, hello, happy summer. Uh, uh, probably the chillest summer on record, you know, in, in just a general way. Thanks for thanks for doing this about it. Of course. Thank you. Well, we're both very chill as people. So <laughs> this so is, chill. you know, we're really doing great right now. Yeah. It's going to be a very long podcast for me talking. So chill. So <laughs> chill. <laughs> what have I done? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, topic of this episode is going to the beach. And with all the episodes, I, I ask guests just up top, like, what's your relationship to this topic? What's what's going to the beach in your life? So I'm not a great 
beachgoer, honestly. I um I'm a redhead. We're a, not like a great beachgoing people because I like look at the sun and I get a sunburn. Um <laughs> and then besides that, like it's it's I'm not anti beach. I love the beach. I really prefer a poolside if I have an option, like somewhere I can sort of keep things in line i also don't love going in the in the water i love the concept of going to the beach and i will go it's just i find it's a very harrowing experience <laughs> yeah i'm i'm similar too but mine is more for because i'm iranian american and, and it takes a lot of uh our history as of people it takes a lot of preparation for us to be ready to be at a beach physically mentally <laughs> emotionally uh and but I grew up like just like Jenny, we gr- grew up in the Bay Area, so I'm like the beach is part of our life. We just we go. It's a cold beach, but we're used to seeing it, the water. Yeah. Like I love the water. I love being by the water, but I'm I'm not. I'll put my foot in, but I won't immerse myself. Uh, <laughs> but I I like the idea. When I was younger, I loved going. But when I'm older now, same thing. The sun is there to destroy us in our skin. So I like to be <laughs> in shaded areas. But I appreciate it. The people who are out getting tans, I worry about you. But do what you're doing. Um, Pro-beach, anti-beach. But I'm never going to get ever into a public pool. That's not <laughs> a th- oh. that's something I'm against. <laughs> it's full of chemicals and people. What about like a hotel pool? Nope. You never know who pooped in there. Wow. <laughs> uh, growing up, we had a pool in my backyard and the cul-de-sac kids, um, they had a history of doing their number one and twos. Anyway, long story wow. short, my dad never cleaned the water. There's a pool that still exists, but we never go in because it's, I, uh, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> Mujan, when you said the cul-de-sac kids, I immediately had a mental picture of them. I was like, yeah, those cul-de-sac oh, kids every time. <laughs> You can't trust the cul-de-sac kids. I immediately had a pitch. I was like, oh, okay. So the show's called The Cul-de-sac Kids. It's about <laughs> a group of five uh, kids with very different personalities. One uh-huh. of their personalities is that he loves food. Yeah. And then there's another kid. He's just like the adventurous one. He's always trying to get them to go on an adventure. And, and then there's that one who always poops in the pool. <laughs> His thing. I <laughs> think that might be the, like, the kid who loves food like there might be a running thing of like if he gets in the pool then it's just like i shouldn't have had that burrito <laughs> now i envision oh. the t-shirt this is great yeah that was, yeah. This was, I, yeah i also i'm very excited that everyone agrees with me about the sun the sun is a destructive force that uh we should have we should have dealt with long ago <laughs> and did you say the the bay area it's cold water because i yes. i had the beaches of lake michigan growing up which is also like you get used to it, but it's uh, it's tough. Yeah, it's 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 for the polar bears. Yeah, going to the beach was to me growing up was like it's always a little cold. It's always windy, very rocky beaches. Uh, like Northern California beaches are like wetsuit beaches. Like people do go out and yeah. surf, but like they have to wear wetsuits. And at that point, it's it's just like why? Yeah, well, I once had cousins from Belgium come and visit, and they're like, America, we're gonna go to the beach. <laughs> And we're like, no, no, it's not what you think. It's December. It's freezing cold. But they wore their like bikinis and short shorts. And they went there and they still like toughed it out. They're like, yeah, we're at the beach. We're doing it, America. And we're like, oh, we'll just drop you off. We're going to Costco. We'll come back in two hours. The the other show we make is the Upbeat Belgians. I'm way into it. For the rest of the show, we've got a couple uh, kind of big takeaways for people about why Going to the beach is secretly incredibly fascinating. Before we get into that, our first segment is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics about going to the beach in a segment called Rock Your Body, yeah. Stats, streets, stats, all right. (laughs) That was so good. That was thrilling. I'm so happy. And uh, that name was submitted by at Nico underscore Mantha. We're going to have a new name for this segment every week submitted by listeners like you. Make them as silly and wacky as possible. Submit your name for the numbers and stats segment to at SIFpod on Twitter or to SIFpod at gmail.com. We have a theme song for the cul-de-sac. We know which artist to go to for the cul-de-sac kids. <laughs> That's sax. Streets. Sax. Yep, there it is. <laughs> right, cover a group famously named for a different kind of street for the yep. cul-de-sac. Yep. <laughs> 
But uh, so we got some stats here. And uh, the first interesting number is 37 miles or less. Uh, and that's 60 kilometers for everyone else. Uh, but 37 miles or less, that number is the distance that half of all people live from an ocean as of 2016, according to Smithsonian. Half of all the people on Earth are 37 miles or less from an ocean. That's where people live. What? That's surprising to me. Yeah. Yeah, me too. But I guess the coastal cities are much more populous everywhere you go. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess the history of coastal cities is they were the importers, exporters, ships. That's why a lot of the population started and continued because that's how the economy worked back then and still now so that make that makes sense <laughs> well immediately in my head i was like well what about people in the middle of russia what about people like right in the middle yeah. of china and i'm like yeah there are fewer people there than in the cities that are closer to the coast yeah so i guess you know what that does make sense alex isn't lying <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's i i find it fun that it's ever been measured that way too because it's just an interesting thing to think about it's also according to uh, john gillis who is a professor emeritus of history at rutgers university um from uh as of 2016 coastal populations rose 30 percent in the previous 30 years so not only is everybody near the coasts and the oceans but it's also gone like way up in the last 30 years we're all just going straight to the beach to call it a fun thing that's what we're doing I think we like knowing that we could go to a beach at any moment if we wanted to. Yeah, yeah. the option. We have an option. The option. And we just generally choose not to take it. <laughs> yep, my backyard is sort of uh, my beach in that it is the one outdoor space I go to. <laughs> Nothing like the beach otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> also, I, I was just going to say, I'm I'm always a little worried about staying on the coast because of all the things that are changing with global warming. Like the, you know, earthquake, not earthquake necessarily, but I keep thinking of movies where there's going to be, uh, or just like terrible things that happen because of the water going over like land. Like a tsunami. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's actually, there's kind of two numbers here that are sort of related to that. And uh, one of them is 75 to 90%. And this is from the same professor, John Gillis. He says that's the number of sand beaches that are disappearing worldwide, at least in the, you know, the medium term or long term. Uh, he says it's partly rising sea levels, partly increased storm action, uh, and then also massive erosion because of people doing stuff on the shore and then pushing the beach out into the, the sea. It's not a very fun stat, but, uh, you know. Partially all the sand I brought home with me in my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the fun thing to say. There's nothing fun about the climate changing. But it's a thing, it's a thing going on. Beaches are something that uh, our activities on, the, on the, the rest of the land can impact. So the other just number here, this is a very specific story. The number is 33 years. And uh, that is how long a beach in Ireland went missing. Uh, so 33 years, what happened is there's the town of Dua on Eakle Island in County Mayo, which is northwest Ireland. And in 1984, there was a huge storm and it just ripped all of the sand off of the beach. Suddenly they just had a rocky coastline. And then in 2017, whole nother storm, all the sand's back. Uh, and they're just like, oh, we're a beach town again. Yeah. I guess that's what we do now. Property values up. Yeah. Yeah. What a fun surprise. Like, because if you've lived there your whole life and you're younger than 33, you're just suddenly like, I suddenly have like this great beach real estate. This is amazing. They also, the other... The other kicker of the story is 2019 additional storm beach gone again. Uh, that really happened. Uh, so it's a really weird town and there's like weird tidal patterns in that area. And it might come back again. I have no idea, you know? We only had two years. That's so, that's fascinating. I really, I didn't realize that a beach could be um, yeah. so in and out of your life like that. <laughs> It kind of reminds me, at least in California, whenever there's like a beachside town, there's always wind chime shops, like or very like those sort of naturey sort of art shops. And I wonder if those businesses also come and go with the rise <laughs> I like that. of the I like beach. That. No, okay. <laughs> I was about to say like air, um, what do you call it? Air sprayed t-shirts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The second a beach appears, so do those. Yeah. And you can get your own name on a shirt. It's a weird thing to wear on your shirt is your own name. <laughs> or your name on a little rice 
Like all those like little kitschy things. Yeah, those the beach people. Like Yeah. <laughs> I love that there's a professor who's like, I'm gonna study beaches. That's the same thing as when Adam Sandler's like, I'm gonna set this movie in Hawaii and they're like, Adam Sandler, you're just finding a reason to go to Hawaii. Like this movie <laughs> doesn't have to take place in Hawaii. Right. He just wanted to go to Hawaii. I feel like that's the same thing with this professor who's like, I'm study a beach and they're all like dude <laughs> but like really nice beaches and just see what why they're so nice you know <laughs> i just i'm gonna see like what's the fluffiest towel i could lay on yeah like why is the sand so white and why is the water so clear why are the dolphins so nice <laughs> why are the dolphins so nice so nice one page dissertation it's just like they just is <laughs> they just is <laughs> There's a, a few more stats here. Also with like just going to the beach, like that whole culture, it's very hard to get good numbers on like how many people are going to the beach because there's no like tickets or anything, you know. Um, but Expedia.com did a very unscientific survey of several thousand people in 2013. Uh, and some stats from that, 46% of respondents had taken a, a beach vacation in the previous 12 months. 64%, that's even more, said they were likely to take one in the next 12 months. Uh, and then my favorite stat is that when they asked people their main beach fear, 54% said their main beach fear was having wallet slash possessions stolen. And then a distant second place was drowning. <laughs> really? Like the main thing was my stuff could get grabbed. <laughs> like, <laughs> Wait, who did they ask? Did they ask is an international questions or just yeah. Americans? They, it was uh, people in 21 countries. So like Americans, oh, okay, everybody. Americans. They're like, don't take my wallet. But, it, you know, if there's undertow, it happens. What do you do? Well, I think it's like you can avoid going into the water, but you do go and just spread all your stuff onto a big, colorful towel. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Though I think I would rather have it taken than drown. <laughs> like if I had to have a choice, like if I had to choose, do I want my wallet stolen or do I want uh, to be pulled into the undertow and lost to the sea? <laughs> I don't know, man. I got like five stamps on a Jamba Juice card, so I don't know. <laughs> I do, I have one I have one beach story I'm remembering right now. Again, I apologize for how I'm gonna sound. Um, I don't like this person, but I was once vacationing in Barcelona. <laughs> 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 and uh, I was with my brother and I had a fever of like a hundred and whatever, like a high fever, but I was so stubborn. I'm like, I am here, I'm never this, like country I don't tr I want I love traveling I want to be here so I'm still gonna they went out to do whatever they're doing but I'm and but I, I decided to go out on a walk even though I had a high fever and I became kind of delirious started sweating and I saw this beach and I laid down and I guess I took a nap that was a couple hours long just spread out <laughs> and when I woke up a, a naked woman was tapping me and she's like estas morta she's like how are you dead <laughs> And I wasn't. It was a kind, and I realized I fell asleep, like, with my high fever in this nude beach in Barcelona. Uh, but they were very kind and took care of me, and I didn't really have any possessions. I think I had my passport on me, but no one stole it. So, if you ever want to be taken care of, go to a nude beach and wear clothes. I was the weird one there, because I was <laughs> wearing clothes. <laughs> and is it a thing where, since it's a nude beach... They were like, someone has clothes, they must be in trouble. Like, Yeah. All the nudes were worried about me. <laughs> when in trouble, send nudes. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, uh, that can bring us into the first of our takeaways for the show. Those were the stats and numbers, folks. And that takes us into takeaway number one. Going to the beach was invented in the late 1700s in Britain for medical purposes. Not, not everybody knows that. Like, like just the, the basic idea of, oh, I'm going to go hang out on the beach. Like, I'm not saying no one has ever done that in all of history, but until like the late 1700s, it was not a very common thing for uh, anyone to do. The sea was like scary and weird. Right. But it was also, yeah, during the British Industrial Revolution. So the cities were full of like soot and yeah. stuff in the air. And it wasn't healthy at all to like be in the city and breathe. And so, yeah. So it's like, yeah, just go to the water. <laughs> For a vacation. That's right on. Yeah. That makes sense, but it is funny that it that they invented the idea of that place over there. Should we go there? Like <laughs> I'm inventing what if 
we go over to the place that we're not currently. I know it's crazy. Yeah, the uh, it it's hard to like exactly place it because obviously this is like all of people over all of time. Like the beach was not fun for centuries and centuries and centuries. Uh, according to Dr. Robert Ritchie, who's the director of research at the Huntington Library in San Marino, California, quote, in the Judeo-Christian biblical tradition, the boiling sea is where great awful beasts come from. And he also says that 17th century pirates did not swim, being that the ocean was opaque, they couldn't see what was in it. There were superstitions about monsters and leviathans and other unthinkable and deadly garbage of the deep, is what he says. Uh, and to, to people in general, like, you know, the ocean was terrifying. And, and the, so why would you hang out on a beach that's not like a totally normal thing to do? I get that. You know what the other thing is? It's really hard to imagine old-timey people on a beach. Like, I, the furthest back I can go is, like, people strolling on the beach with, like, parasols and sort of, like, Victorian era. But, like, yeah. before that, it's like imagining old, like, people eating pizza before, like, 1970. Like, I'm sure they did. <laughs> but it's just that thing of, like, my brain can't wrap its head around, like, people like it just that doesn't that doesn't really compute for me does that make sense yeah it does <laughs> yeah i'm like in my mind i'm trying to think of like the uh, colonials jamestown like back in the day pilgrims being like let's go to the beach and it just doesn't compute <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> it's like until i had made stovetop popcorn i like didn't know you could do it not in a microwave and i was like how do people in the past even how are they eating that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I wonder how much of it is like, because so much of like looking back at history is this is like how much of this is like colon like colonizers yeah. coming from like landlocked places going to a place with a beautiful shore and being like no one has thought to be on this beach and like the indigenous populations that they pushed out of that area are like what the f guys like well, it's like how do we make money out of this where do we how do you put an economy there like you know somebody's got to put tiny rice exactly <laughs> and like weird art shops of portraits of like well and i also think like but i think when you say like going to the beach it conjures up a really specific image now which is like we pack a bag we go and we put out a blanket and like it's just all these specific steps where it's like oh yeah there's like a whole culture of that is an activity to do because that's especially dead on about like the beach being defined as a space that it is because because right like there were people spending time on the sand next to water all the time but just this idea of like we're going to the beach is like very specific couple of colonizers telling other people that's how it works yeah because there is that thing we're describing of like the beach being a space people start doing vacation -y kind of stuff but also uh almost right before it in the 1700s uh, they sort of developed the beach as a medical situation. It was like, oh, you're a British person who feels ill in any way. The beach, in all of these various ways, will be like, like actually medically beneficial for you, not just like relaxing. And a lot of this is coming from a great article in The Atlantic called The Historic Healing Power of Going to the Beach by A.D. Braun. And she points out mainly like three ways people thought the beach helped. It was breathing sea air, swimming in water, and then also drinking the seawater. They thought all three of these things, very good for you. That last one especially, hmm. Like, I definitely know people now who are like, yeah, the being in seawater is like really, it has like legitimate benefits for your skin. I'm, and like, I think there are like disinfecting qualities of like the salt and all that stuff. But don't drink it. <laughs> don't you get like crazy from that though? Yeah, that's a big like stranded sailor thing. There's also a thing with um, just the concept of the beach, like the phrase on the beach, apparently before the 1700s, it was a figure of speech that sailors used. And it was like a metaphor for you're stranded or left behind by your ship. So it's like, oh, he's on the beach means like you've been left behind to, to die and you'll be drinking seawater and stuff. But then in the mid 1700s, uh, there were a few doctors in particular, a guy named Dr. Richard Russell. Uh, who was a doctor in Brighton in the UK, which is like a, a sea coast city in southern England. Uh, and he started telling people that a really great health practice is to bathe in and drink the seawater in Brighton in England. He was like, that's the best thing to do. The, the city I'm in, drink the seawater and go in there. 
uh, and he claimed that it was good for people suffering from scurvy, jaundice, leprosy, glandular consumption, uh, and wrote up a treatise called A Dissertation on the Use of Seawater in the Diseases of the Glands, particularly the scurvy, jaundice, king's evil, leprosy, and the glandular consumption. That was his treatise on what King's to do. evil? Yeah, I don't know what king's evil is, so I sort of skipped over it. I, I can't imagine what that illness is. Wow. <laughs> I want to come back when we do the episode talking about King's Evil, whatever that. I love like this sort of, I mean, there was just um, an era of medicine up until very recently where it was just, listen, we're going to try some stuff. We really don't know what's going to work. Like, maybe we drill a hole into your head and some evil will come out. Like, no one can tell what's medicine. Like, yeah, I mean... In a way, this doctor is right. If you do drink seawater from Brighton, something else might happen to you that's even worse. So you don't <laughs> care about those other diseases you have because you'll be focused on the new problem that you have. Right. <laughs> Drinking tons yeah, of he salt. Wrote the, he wrote that he said he had a patient drink a pint of seawater every morning for nine months and that it recovered them from leprosy. Which cannot be true. That's that's not how that disease works. Yeah, because they <laughs> right. died. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. No more complaining. So. <laughs> yeah, there's no more complaints. Everyone's great. No problems. So you know how there were plague masks that looked like big crows, sort of like they had like the big pointy noses and like all that. <laughs> Living through a pandemic, because you you grow up in history and you're like, oh yeah, the plague doctors wore the plague masks. And you're like, sure, that's what a mask looked like to protect you from the plague. That's not, they didn't need to look that scary. <laughs> like, there's always been the technology to make a mask look kind of normal. We're, like, we could have always been doing that. That makes even less sense now that we're all existing in that. Right. It doesn't need to be a crazy crow monster. It can just be, like, a little thing over your face. Yeah, or, like, kitty whiskers it could be, or something. Yeah, can you imagine how scary it would be if you were dying and a crazy crow monster was coming at you? Like, it could have just been a person wearing, like, a mask that, that has a smile on it. Yeah, it could just be normal. Or should we normalize scary crows? You know? What have they done? They're, they can't help who they are. Jenny? I'm sorry. You're right. They've lived this life with those faces, you know? They just want to be loved. And caw. And fly. Yeah, squawk, squawk. I mean, I mean, Mujan's right. I'm not a crow. What? Uh, <laughs> on. Uh. Next thing here is a big trumpet sound for a big takeaway. Before that, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So, I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them, and then you just stay there like like really quiet and try and creep them out <laughs> it's just really boring because of jordan right not me because of both of you oh subscribe to jordan jesse go a comedy show for grown-ups and then the big big therapy was like swimming in seawater which again might have some like good things for you um but it was not fun like, we think of, I'm going to go to the beach and swim. We think, like, the benefits will come from having fun in the water. But according to The Atlantic, quote, By the mid-1700s, a standard therapy was developed, which resembled waterboarding far more than a spa treatment. It involved dunking society ladies in the freezing sea repeatedly until the twin effects of cold and suffocation caused terror and panic. 
The frightened patient would then be hoisted from the water in her soaking flannel smock, revived with vigorous back rubs and feet warmers, given a cup of tea, uh, and then they would do that every morning for several weeks uh, while they stayed at a seaside resort for health reasons. There's a lot of women, I think, in L.A. who would pay a lot of money for that. <laughs> like a, a dunking followed by a pampering. Like, I think that's a very L.A. Uh, thing. If you say it'll make your skin tighter. If you say it prevents aging, you would make a billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Does the article mention or, or do we know that, that this actually proved to be efficient? Like, or was it? People were doing it because other people were doing it. It's it seems like it's more of the latter. Like it definitely doesn't cure tuberculosis or anything. Uh, like it it was okay. it was probably like <laughs> okay. it, it also could be the kind of thing where if people just go to a resort and take time for themselves, that feels nice. And right. So they were like, oh well, surely this also fits germ theory or something somehow. When it, it doesn't, it's just made up. There was also a theory around the sea air, and according to Elaine Corbin, who's a emeritus professor of history at the Sorbonne, the discovery of oxygen in 1778 uh, was a big deal to everyone. Uh, and then one medical theory that came around was, oh, sea air must be healthy because oxygen, this thing we just discovered, like sea air has a lot more of it, we just kind of figure. And so that's why sea air must be good for you. Like there was like... Like the, the nuts and bolts of science in general was leading people to be like, the beach is magic. That's my, my takeaway. Does it actually have more oxygen? Because sea level would have more oxygen than anything above sea level. Like, I guess so. It could be science. I would buy that. I failed science twice in school. So don't listen to me, but I would believe that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's also that thing that I think you both were mentioning earlier, too, of just industrial revolution is happening regular people uh the most they can get away from their horrible polluted city is the beach and so it's like yeah the air is not full of like shirtwaist factory smoke so sure good yeah. <laughs> that'll do it yeah <laughs> and also to show off i mean they're all wearing very conservative of that time swimwear but you know they all had hot bods <laughs> they all had hot bods they all had hot tight industrial revolution pods that's a fact Just think about it that's move science. on all right <laughs> in my mind everyone had all the men had that what is it like the muscular v like the 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 strong man yeah, oh, yeah. like the old timey fit like barrel yes. chested yeah children men women they all had that same body to me <laughs> Because because their job, like, 12 hours a day, six days a week, was just pulling a big lever attached to a big gear. So they got yeah. really strong. This is a lot of CrossFit at that time. Yeah. <laughs> well, so many factories, you have to be constantly bouncing up and down while music plays. Um, <laughs> like, it's like, do, 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 and you're just, yeah. like, sort of constantly, but, yeah. like, and you're sort of bouncing up and down, like, like this, and then pulling some gears um i'm trying to do like a merry melodies like bouncing animation i don't the podcast audience can't see i'm doing that pulling a ton of levers <laughs> for those of you not not watching this i'm doing accurate brilliant physical comedy yeah. it is yeah. like we are talking charlie chaplin and uh lucille ball and buster keaton it's all in one <laughs> And, uh, and also then uh, with the medical use of the beaches, that became like the first resorts. The first resorts were basically, uh, there wasn't like the, the public health care so much we think of now, but it was like private businesses offering a medical facility more or less at the beach. That was how they got built. Uh, apparently the first seaside resort opened in the town of Scarborough near York in northern England with like, you know, not all that sunny of a beach, but a place where you could do your medical beach stuff. Uh, and it was designed uh, to cure melancholy, rickets, leprosy, gout, impotence, tubercular infections, menstrual problems, and hysteria. Uh, and then a bunch of other competing resorts popped up in other towns like Margate and Brighton all over England. It was this, like, English phenomenon immediately. It sounds like, oh, I mean, we have this now. It's like the wellness industry. It just sounds like the wellness industry of, like, the 1880s. Yeah. Just like whatever, we're going to cure all of your problems. You're going to be amazing. Just give us a shit ton of your money, and we're definitely going to fix it. 
This is so many points on class pass to go to the yes. <laughs> but clearly, like something, I mean, medic, modern medicine advanced in a way that we don't do this anymore. So either it's like they were, I mean, clearly they didn't cure those things. Right. But eventually we learned that and have moved on since and just used the beach to keep it tight. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's definitely like it went as high as in 1783, the Prince of Wales, who was later King George IV, like went to Brighton because he was worried about his gout. And in Jane Austen's Emma, published in 1815, uh, the main character's father debates which beach resort to go to for his medical problems. Like they, we got over it eventually, but for a long time, it was like it was not like oh let's take the family to the beach to build like sandcastles. It was like I'm going to the beach because I'm. Uh, a warty or bleeding or something. I don't know. I'm going to work on it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know that, no, this is, I don't know if this is related, but like FDR in the thirties or even twenties or like when he was trying to get a cure for his polio, he would go to, it was a spring. Right. And so that still continues on or continued on. Yeah. There's still hot springs and that sort of thing that people will go to. Yeah. It's a very enticing, I feel like treatment, especially for something like a that's like a real actual medical problem right like it's like oh it's something i can try and and it may have no effect but if nothing else is having any effect it like feels good you know yeah and i think that takes us well into takeaway number two going to the beach wasn't mainstream fun until the late 1800s the oh let's go to the beach and swim and play around it took until really almost the turn of the century for like most people to want to do it as a fun thing to do We'll also link a Smithsonian article that talks about uh, some of the first people going to the beach for non-medical stuff being uh, painters and poets. Like there, it's it's not very interesting audio, but there was a whole era when people were like, "Oh, my my art and my words will come from the the rawness of this crazy beach situation." It's like that guy we were talking about earlier who's going to do his dissertation on beaches. It's like I need to be there. <laughs> to draw and to think <laughs> but yeah the kind of similarly as we said before it's it's a uh, if you're coming from the city especially it's just a place where you can like reset your mind that's different from the chaos of the industrial revolution britain it seems like was a big country for being the first one because they had good railway systems if we ever do an episode on trains it's going to be like all british stuff in the history part because uh, apparently by 1911 there were more than 100 seaside resorts in england and wales alone uh, and the first big one was in Blackpool, which is north of Liverpool. Again, very far north, pretty cold. Uh, but they had everything for a beach like resort city, including an 1890s amusement park, sort of like Coney Island in America or something like that. Isn't that sort of like their Atlantic City now? Like I, I think of Blackpool as being sort of like a British, like I know it's not like Geordie Shore, but I do think of it as having like this sort of like casino vibe maybe i just think of that because there was that musical british show viva blackpool with david tennant and then they tried to do the u.s version viva lachlan and it didn't work <laughs> am i making all this up this is this is sounding right yeah to me, but... the british will write in if, if we're wrong but that seems right yeah okay great good this uh this seaside resort phenomenon it did spread obviously beyond england um according to the Smithsonian article, it says that it made its way across Europe to Normandy and southwestern France, Italy, northern Germany, uh, and then, of course, to America. And also, like, as far as beach fun, uh, we've all talked about our distaste for the sun. It's the worst. Uh, and everyone agreed with us until, like, around the 1920s in history. Because uh, I, I think, Jen, you were talking before about, like, you just think of people with umbrellas and hating everything about the sun in the past at the beach. Uh, that was how it worked. No one, No one wanted to be in there. Uh, according to The Atlantic, most ladies would bundle up, shade themselves under umbrellas, and put up entire canopy chair thingies uh, when they went to the beach. They would it, It's like being a, an astronaut or something. Like, I'm putting on all my protective gear for this experience. I mean, that makes sense. When did the idea of having a tan become a popular thing? Is that like a 60s thing? It's weird. It's uh, according to, and this is in particular this Atlantic article, there were like a few reasons for tans getting popular. One of them is that uh, initially the aristocracy thought a tan meant you were like a laborer, and so they didn't want that, but then that flipped later on. And then another big reason was the Germans, uh, because apparently there was a movement in Germany 
that started in the 1890s. It was called the Free Body Culture Movement, or Freikörperkultur, and uh, it promoted athletics and nudism and being in the sun. It was all about, like, I'm going to be the strongest, nakedest, outdoors person I can. That's fun to me. Uh, and it really took off after World War One. Wow, that's incredibly German. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of going back to the whole covering oneself up, uh, there was, you know, as there still is now, uh, the belief that, like, white, pure skin means you're, like, higher in society. Yeah. And so you have to preserve, because if you're tan or brown or darker, uh, you were a worker and you were considered lower in society. And then also, uh, as far as the other, uh, as the sun became a thing for people, uh, also swimwear uh, was like not a thing for a long, long time that people prioritized, especially when the beach was medical. They were like, oh, why would I want to have cool or useful swimwear? I'm here for my tuberculosis. Right. Yeah. Women would wear like proper dresses just full of fabric like back then to go swim in the water yeah well that's the thing is like i mean nobody was buying like a swimsuit like you were wearing a full wool outfit like that's so it would just be so heavy walking back you go sandy oh that'd be so bad that sounds awful yeah well there's a thing and this is from dr robert ritchie at the huntington library again Apparently, uh, until really the 20th century, like upper class people who were going to go in the water at the beach didn't actually swim. Uh, What they would do is they took a quick plunge while naked. And the system was, quote, they devised a horse drawn barrel that was backed into the water. People took off their clothes inside the barrel and then went naked for a quick plunge. But then they got right back out again and put their clothes back on inside the barrel. Is this where wearing a barrel comes from as a cultural idea? I Wow. Like, you know, how you're like, oh, that person's so poor, they're wearing a barrel. Oh. And then you're like, barrels are more expensive than clothes. So yeah. is that where barrels come Is that where that comes from? Yeah, that's a lot of timber. Uh, I don't know. It, it feels related. Yeah, like like who who is in barrels ever? Only that trope and then this story just now. That's it. <laughs> it looks like it was called the bankruptcy barrel used in cartoons as a token of destitution. Oh. Or never nudes. <laughs> <laughs> right, the modesty barrel, yes. Yeah, the uh, modesty barrel. There's also, we'll also link an article from Lapham's Quarterly, uh, which is a great publication. It's called The Most Beautiful Girl in America by Margot Mifflin. I know that sounds like a, a story for children or something, but it's about uh, early 1900s swimwear being an American like innovation and invention that the U.S. was pr- uh, pushing in a big way. Um, apparently men and women started wearing bathing suits around 1900. And then initially cities made a bunch of laws, uh, like codifying it very specifically. New York city pushed a law in 1907 that prohibited swimwear that ended more than four inches above the knee without stockings rolled up over the thigh to bridge the difference. And it was enforced by beach cops who apparently trudged around commanding, quote, roll them up, sister. That was like a, that was like a guy in 1907 going around. I would love to do 1907 Baywatch. And it's just a bunch of old timey beach cops enforcing laws like that, running slowly, wearing like huge, like wool stockings. (laughs) Just taking a break, breathing heavily, like, okay, it's too hot. It's too hot. (laughs) That lady's legs are showing. Everybody, 10, 12. I don't know what the. You you don't know the police codes for 1907 Baywatch off the top of your head? (laughs) 87 2, everybody on the lady. Okay, you're back on the force. Uh, Okay, thank you. And then the other law was men had to cover their chests with tank tops. So, like, everybody was being, obviously, women were more policed uh, just kind of all the time throughout history. But but, uh, men were also, like, legally obligated to not do the thing they kind of all do on the beach now. Like today, people are like, you're wearing a shirt. Well, no one's ever likes nipples. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's always been really weird about the idea of nipples. <laughs> yeah. But like a different skin part on your large skin part. No, thank you. Yeah. What is the point of it? Something come out of it? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. What are you pointing at? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> Because also related to the Baywatch thing, there's an important figure in like the history of swimwear. Uh, her name is Annette Kellerman, was an Australian woman, champion competitive swimmer, and she invented the one-piece swimsuit in order to swim faster. That's where those come from, uh, like like to win races and stuff. 
uh, and she was also arrested for wearing it on a beach in Massachusetts. Uh, she like tried to wear it uh, in the water. It's a it's a one piece swimsuit. It's just like mostly covering her body, and the police arrested her because it wasn't bulky enough and wasn't covering her legs enough. Right, and it was probably was it probably shape shapely like it's it showed her shape off, which is just so enticing to everybody <laughs> on the beach. I like that she's like, yeah, of course you'll swim faster if you don't have fabric being dragged back by right. the ocean. Yeah. She just figured out what we all know and uh, and was arrested. Yeah. <laughs> all of history is just people being arrested for doing stuff that we think is totally fine now. Right. Yeah. And it's funny when like, you know, this stuff is similarly still happening in very conservative countries like the Middle East where women can't necessarily go on a, like, you know, there's, they're segregated by gender still in some cases, but, uh, but people are like, how dare they? But it's like, no, y- y'all been doing it back in the past. <laughs> like maybe, I don't know. This isn't the, it's not like you didn't do it. Yeah. There's also no winning because I remember a couple of years ago, there was like, um, a controversy over a burkini. Like there right. was a Muslim woman who was competing in a swim event and obviously wanted to, keep her head covered and there was like some controversy over it. It's like, there's no winning. Yeah. There's no winning if it comes to something. And if they do win, they should get two awards. Yeah. For not only winning, but also winning with what they're wearing. <laughs> adding like an obstacle. Sorry we made this harder. Sorry we made this hard thing you were doing harder. They should like, like they, they give them a gold medal and then there's like a second medal that just says for the bull on it or like some kind of you know like (laughs) it's very explicit (laughs) additional award (laughs) whole anthem plays again you know they they really ought to (laughs) there's also uh uh, just one other thing with swimsuits is that like i think people think of the bikini as like one actually modern swimsuit not this like purely swim competition focused thing that annette kellerman did and it was created as recently as 1946 Maybe some people know, but not everybody knows. It was named after the Bikini Atoll in the Pacific Ocean uh, because it was uh, they had just done an atomic test there. And so people were like, this is just as explosive as the A-bomb. Ha ha. And that, that was what the French designer thought. Uh-oh. That's so funny. This is just as damaging to our society at large. <laughs> at least, it, well, you know, at, the bikini's <laughs> fine. At least it wasn't like the second draft of that name, which was rejected like boobies or something. Really? Like. <laughs> <laughs> Lady giblets. <laughs> Lady giblets. It was an engineer named Louis Rayard who designed it, and he saw ladies in Saint-Tropez rolling their swimsuits up to get a better tan. Uh, so he was like, oh, this will help with that. And then also there was post-World War II rationing of material. So for like <laughs> the reason of it's less material. Oh, wow. Uh, they did that. But it was still, it was so controversial that uh, they unveiled it at a fashion show and he couldn't find a professional model willing to wear it. And he had to hire Micheline Bernardini, who was a 19-year-old professional nude dancer to be the model for it because her navel would be exposed. And so it was like, oh, society will be atomic bombed if, if anyone does this. I, I mean, like, I got to say, I, I obviously am super pro women wearing anything that makes them feel comfortable, no matter how uh, revealing or conservative. But the fact that there was a man who was like, I've got a brilliant invention. Women wear less. And everybody was like, Awesome job, dude. Good job inventing this selfless thing. (laughs) Great idea, Brad. Love it, Brad. (laughs) How about instead of making them... Yeah, I like the first idea of making a suit, which makes them better in water and faster in water, but how about we get rid of the suit? (laughs) What if we started making women self-conscious about their abs? Yeah. But make men's shorts longer. We don't want to see their thighs. (laughs) Folks, that is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Jenny Jaffe and Mujan Zulfagari for hitting the beach with me, even when it's one of those Irish beaches that kind of comes and goes somehow. Very freaky. Also, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. 
if you support this show on Patreon.com. Patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic, Prora. That's the topic, Prora. It's spelled P-R-O-R-A. Prora is a history thing and a modern day thing and a Hitler thing. It's just one of the weirdest stories I've ever come across. I'm really excited about it. Visit sifpod.fun to hear about that and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for going to the beach with us. Here's one more run through the big beach takeaways. Takeaway number one, going to the beach was invented in the late 1700s in Britain for medical purposes. And takeaway number two, going to the beach wasn't mainstream fun until the late 1800s, and then swimwear and all the other stuff we associate with it is totally 20th century stuff. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow our guests. Jenny Jaffe is on Twitter, at Jenny Jaffe, last name spelled J-A-F-F-E, and we're linking an article in Fast Company about her fake made-up cold opens written on Twitter uh, for anyone who wanted one this summer. Mujan Zulfagari is part of the cast of Mission to Zix, that's spelled Z-Y-X-X, and it's a fantastic improvised comedy sci-fi podcast on the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. You can find it on your podcast app. Also, their website is the following, mission2zix.space. Yeah, they have a .space domain name. As the, as the new owner of a .fun domain name, I want only unusual domains from here on out, and they've done it. I'm very excited. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. A great article titled The Weird Origins of Going to the Beach by Daniela Bly for Smithsonian. Another great article titled The Historic Healing Power of Going to the Beach by A.D. Braun for The Atlantic. And a particularly fascinating piece of history and cultural analysis. It's titled The Most Beautiful Girl in America, and it's by Margot Mifflin for the amazing magazine-slash-academic work Lapham's Quarterly. Find those and more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken, Unshaven by The Budos Band. The Budos Band's next album is called Long in the Tooth. It releases October 9th. Pre-order your copy at daptonerecords.com. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. See more of Bert's art on Instagram, at Burt Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I am thrilled to say we will be back next week with more secretly incredibly fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then.